Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London, I'm Josh Noble. Volodymyr Zelensky, a TV comedy actor, appears to be on course to unseat President Petro Poroshenko in the second round of Ukraine's presidential elections this weekend. Katie Martin discusses how he got there and what kind of president he would make with Roman Oliacic. Roman, we've just heard a clip from a campaign video of Mr Zelensky taking selfies with his team. What kind of character does he play on TV and how did he go from acting into politics? Let me start off by saying that Mr. Zelensky is a very funny and talented comedian who strikes the basic emotional chords with average Ukrainians. And I think it's very important to put this into context. The country is into a sixth year of war in far eastern regions with Russian-backed separatists. And it's gone through a lot of economic pain during these past years. And his performances including his comedy performances where he mocks politicians, is sort of a escape, a release for the population that has a lot of anger on various issues from lingering corruption to the economic pain they're feeling. In his popular TV series called Servant of the People, where he plays a honest school teacher who becomes president unexpectedly, he plays a character who combats the oligarchs. It's a very popular, widely watched TV show in the country, and it presents sort of the ideal president that the people would like to see. In contrast, the current president, who has a patchy reform record, is an oligarch himself. And in the TV series Servant of the People, there are episodes, for example, where Mr. Zelensky, playing the role of this uh, honest school teacher, walks into parliament and imagines himself with automatic guns shooting and killing all the politicians. And such scenes are scenes that many Ukrainians who are fed up with corruption, I'm sure would like to see perhaps, maybe not in real life, but they would like to see someone who comes into power that really changes the way the system here works. I mean, he's clearly struck a chord, but how did he make that transition into real politics in real life? He hasn't made a transition to a sort of a conventional Ukrainian politician. Ukrainians still to this day see him as the character in the TV show. They haven't really seen the real Mr. Zelensky, and neither have Ukraine's Western backers, nor even journalists, because he hasn't really given a lot of face-to-face interviews, in-depth interviews. He hasn't appeared on the streets doing traditional campaign rallies. And so Ukrainians see in him often what they want to see, a sort of character who is honest, who is just an average person who is fed up with the system and wants to change it. And that's really the unorthodox campaign that he's run. His campaign is focused largely on two fronts, mobilizing the youth electorate, the young generation who see him as one of their own. And he targets them specifically through social media. Meanwhile, we have the television series, which a lot of elderly Ukrainians watch. Is he young himself? How old is he? He's 41 years of age. So he basically grew up in independent Ukraine and is not viewed as the same as the current political establishment who uh, are all Soviet-born and developed as people partially in the Soviet Union and during the crony 1990s where a handful of individuals amassed massive amounts of wealth. So he's viewed as this anti-establishment figure by a population which desperately wants big changes and a change from the current establishment with fresh faces. 
Recent polls have shown that 60 or perhaps more percentage of the population want a new face as president and new faces in parliament, a complete overhaul politically. So this really is an extraordinary situation, a new sort of campaign. But what are his policies? How do they differ from his opponent, Petra Poroshenko? You're right. It's a very surreal situation in many respects. And it's just astonishing at how popular he's become in a very short period of time since declaring his bid for the presidency on New Year's Eve, which was just several months ago. But in reality, we don't really know who he really is and what kind of policies he would bring and how different they would be from Poroshenko's, because he has been very short on detail. He's avoided, as I've said, in-depth interviews on foreign policy, domestic policy, giving very general statements. In many ways, the general statements that he's given since a group of several former officials have joined him as advisors have been along the lines of the current trajectory that Ukraine is going on in terms of foreign and domestic policy, which means sticking with the IMF program and with the Western-backed support countering Russia and its aggression. So what are the achievements and shortcomings of Mr. Poroshenko as president? Has he done anything to tackle the corruption that seems to be the biggest concern and seems to be fueling so much enthusiasm for Mr. Zelensky? Let's remember that Mr. Poroshenko took power when he was elected with a 54% mandate just a couple of months after the Maidan revolution sent a pro-Russian president fleeing to Russia. And Russia at that time, after the revolution, swiftly annexed Crimea and fomented a war in the far eastern regions of the country. Since taking over, Poroshenko has rebuilt the army, which was caught flat-footed in the early days of the war. Under his leadership, the government has achieved uh, macroeconomic stability, creating the foundations for a healthier economy across the board. There have been significant reforms in removing the room for corruption and rent-seeking in various sectors of the economy, including bringing market-level prices to utilities, and independence to the central bank. However, the major shortcoming of Mr. Poroshenko, his political Achilles heel, has been his foot dragging on reforms that are needed to punish corruption in forming a functioning court system. To give a little bit of context, the court systems in this country have traditionally been used by presidents and other top officials as a form of leverage over other politicians. They have not been independent. So it sounds like enthusiasm for his campaign is rather low. For Mr. Poroshenko's, yes, it's been rather low. However, he has made a remarkable comeback, though his chances of re-election seem distant. His poll numbers about a year ago were in single digits. In the first round of elections on March 31st, he came in second behind Mr. Zelensky. He mustered about 13% support. That is a, you know, a significant increase from the single-digit numbers that he had prior to that. So going back to Mr. Zelensky, his career has been backed by another oligarch who lives in exile but owns the TV channel that screens his shows. Tell us about Igor Kolomoisky and why he had to leave Ukraine. Yes, Igor Kolomoisky is a very interesting character. We at the Financial Times interviewed him a couple of years back. He was camera shy for many decades but came out into the open of Ukrainian politics after Russia annexed Crimea. He accepted the job as governor of a region that borders the breakaway regions in eastern Ukraine that Russian-backed forces and separatists took control over. He played a big role in repelling further incursions into the country. And we interviewed him shortly after that and found him to be, in some ways, a very candid figure, but impulsive and obsessive and clearly one who seeks influence. And he had a big grudge against Poroshenko in those days. 
What we've seen is that Mr. Kolomoisky's channels have been giving a great amount of airtime to Mr. Zelensky and his TV series in particular, and this has increased support for Mr. Zelensky. We also see, and there are reports, that lawyers that we met in the presence of Mr. Kolomoisky are playing a sort of backroom role in advising Mr. Zelensky. There are reports that bodyguards of Mr. Kolomoisky have been hired by Mr. Zelensky to protect him and other evidence of links. So there is a lot of concern that Mr. Zelensky could be a puppet of Mr. Kolomoisky, as Mr. Poroshenko claims. Mr. Zelensky, however, has denied this and promises that there will be no special treatment for Mr. Kolomoisky, who, by the way, promises to return to Ukraine from Israel, where he's in exile currently after the elections. So he may have some practical backing from Kolomoisky, but if we look to the situation where, for example, he wins, what sort of policy input does he have? What kind of backing does he have in that sense? Much of what we know about Mr. Zelensky's potential policies going forward come from a group of former government ministers and officials that have become his advisors. They include the respected former foreign minister of Ukraine, Oleksandr Daniluk, who was a key official in relations with the IMF, and a former economy minister, the Lithuanian-born Ivaris Abramovacius. Those two, along with another individual who's advising him, are saying that the policies will be consistent with the IMF program and that Ukraine will remain on a pro-Western course. However, what really will happen under Zelensky's presidency remains a bit of a question because he has not formally announced who will be members of his team, who will hold what positions in the government. And doubts are big because in some of the first comments that Mr. Zelensky gave to the media after announcing his campaign, he said a lot of things that raised eyebrows. For example, he described IMF loans as too expensive when they are actually some of the cheapest sources of financing that Ukraine can get nowadays. So what's at stake here for Ukraine and why do these elections matter? There's an awful lot at stake here for Ukraine. Ukraine is on the front lines of Russia's broader war with the West, which started in 2014 with the annexation of Crimea. There's also an awful lot of stake for the West here. Unpredictable leadership in Ukraine and unclear governing could complicate Ukraine's relations with Western backers, including the multi-billion dollar loans that are needed from the IMF. They're key to propping up this country as it faces a peak in foreign debt payments this and next year. So there's a lot at stake for bondholders in Ukrainian debt, for example. Questions about Ukraine's leadership under Mr. Zelensky, and no one knows very much what to expect for him, could also test the transatlantic unity behind Ukraine and Russia sanctions over Moscow's continued aggression in Ukraine. A vacuum of power in Ukraine, should it occur under a Zelensky leadership or more infighting, could also lead to instability that could make the country more vulnerable to further Russian aggression. And let's remember that Russia really seized the moment tactically, annexing Crimea and fomenting a war in eastern regions in the post-revolution period of Ukraine in 2014, when there was no strong vertical of power. So high stakes in a very unpredictable situation. Roman, thanks very much. Thank you. That was Katie Martin talking to Roman Oliacic in Kiev. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com forward slash offer.